126 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about big tech censorship. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as intellectual dishonesty, political bias, the Pennsylvania vote count, the Tenth Amendment, or court packing comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, and Rumble. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment to scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. A recent Washington Examiner YouGov poll found that three out of four registered voters believe social media companies have too much influence over what news the public reads, with a majority also seeing these platforms as politically biased. Who can argue with those results given the amount of censorship being promulgated by big tech these days? In this episode, I'm going to examine big tech censorship. Along the way, I want you to continually ask the questions, why can't the left allow free speech? What are they afraid of? So there's two types of censorship, overt and covert. Examples of overt censorship is to purge the platform of undesirables. You may remember it all kind of started with fringe characters like Alex Jones of InfoWars and former Breitbart editor Milo Yiannopoulos. Then it expanded to the likes of Laura Loomer, Paul Joseph Watson, Nick Monroe, Roger Stone, Tommy Robinson, Carl Benjamin, and Gavin McGinnis. Then they started shadow banning and demonetizing non-leftists. Then they started censoring Trump and his advisors, his kids, his supporters. Then we saw the censorship of grassroots pro-Trump Twitter supporters who would coincidentally get banned shortly after the president retweeted one of their posts. We've seen a purge of pro-life videos from YouTube, so the results of abortion-related or pro-life searches weigh heavily towards pro-abortion results. Why can't the pro-life position be presented by Google? Why manipulate the search algorithms to steer people away from that narrative? What does Google gain by doing so? Left-wing whack jobs and violent Antifa types remain untouched on these platforms. No censoring of people calling for the burning of Louisville or Holocaust deniers, death to America, threats of violence towards conservatives, pictures of a former comedian holding the bloody head of Trump. None of that crosses the line. You may be thinking, it's just misfits and malcontents that get busted. Who cares? Or maybe you think, well, it's just conservatives and Trump supporters, and since Trump is the devil, who gives a shit? You should care because they will come for you at some point. Totalitarians never know when to stop. Consider a YouTube alternative, Brighteon.com, where I post my videos. It was banned by Facebook a couple months ago. You could not link to anything with a Brighteon.com URL. It was a blanket ban. Why, you ask? Well, because unlike Facebook, Brighteon is a free speech platform. What was their crime? They allowed videos that were counter to the Democrat-induced hysteria about COVID-19 to be viewed on their platform, specifically a documentary called Plandemic. 
Why can't a documentary such as this be available to the public? Even if it's complete bullshit, what necessitates the censoring of it? Another example is Gab.com, which is a free speech Twitter alternative. It has drawn the ire of big tech since its launch three years ago. Gab has been banned by a host of payment processors and hosting companies. It's been blocked from both Apple and Google's app stores, which between the two own 98% of the market. They have been subject to corporate censorship. GoDaddy killed their account. The bright side of the Gab story is it had to build out its own infrastructure on their own to get around the corporate censorship, and they now offer it to other free speech platforms. Why can't Gab exist? Big Tech jumped the shark with their censorship when the New York Post broke the story about Hunter Biden's laptop in October 2020. In a nutshell, it essentially proved that Joe Biden has been running what is essentially a crime family for the better part of 40 years, using his troubled son, Hunter, as a bagman. Check out episode 118, The Truth About the Biden Crime Family, for more on that. Facebook and Twitter blocked the sharing of the URL to the New York Post story, and Twitter killed the Post account for two weeks. So why couldn't these platforms just let the story run? Now that the election is over, the overt purge continues. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen conservative treehouse being removed from WordPress for the crime of being conservative. MailChimp blacklisted several conservative groups because they were, you know, conservative. OAN was demonetized by YouTube. See, One American News Network leans conservative on their news coverage. It's a crime in America to do such. AOC and others suggest we should keep a list of all Trump supporters, presumably to help get our heads straight once they regain power. Just last week, I posted a video purportedly to show Georgia election officials opening suitcases full of ballots and counting them after the media and Republican poll watchers had left for the night. Facebook blocked it and in its place provided two stories to dispute it. One from PolitiFact, a left-wing hack site that publishes fact checks, and another one from LeadStories.com, which I have never heard of, but apparently their hoax alert is good enough for Facebook. Why can't Facebook users see the video, even if it's not evidence of voter fraud? Why can't my fellow Facebook friends call bullshit and tell me why the video is misleading? What is Facebook trying to hide? Libertarian think tank, the Mises Institute, has been slapped by YouTube for having the audacity to post a video that challenges the official narrative surrounding the coronavirus and mask-wearing hysteria. Why can't YouTube allow such a video to run on its platform? What are they trying to hide? What do they gain by blocking content like that? So those are some examples of overt censorship. The covert stuff is stuff you don't really see, where the great and all-powerful Oz behind the curtain most likely a left-wing partisan hack, 20-something sitting behind multiple monitors somewhere in Silicon Valley cubicle, wielding his power to shadow ban and de-boost posts and traffic of the deplorables. It's been shown that YouTube uses blacklists. Google manipulates their search results, and during the 2016 election, Facebook made changes to their logarithms in order to throttle traffic to conservative Facebook sites by as much as 90%. Sites like Breitbart, and the Gateway Pundit, and I think Daily Wire, were all particularly hard hit. Ask yourself why these companies feel the need to throttle conservative voices. Here's an experiment that you can do yourself to see some of the covert censorship with your own eyes. Open up your Microsoft Edge browser. For most of you, the home page of sorts opens up and there's a news feed at the top. Spend a couple minutes watching the sites that they feed you. 
what political persuasion are they? Or look at the sources of your average Google search on a political topic. Try, try something like COVID-19 or the Federal Reserve or abortion or gun control. What news outlets do they put at the top of the search results? What news outlets don't you see? Again, I ask you, what are these companies afraid of? Why not present honest search results? Why not present news from a wide variety of sources? This is a little off topic of big tech censorship, but it's worth mentioning here. While the newsfeed censorship is pretty blatant, nothing compares to Wikipedia, which is described as a defamation engine. The site is full of smears and character assassination. See, most search engines use Wikipedia often. For most people, an internet search starts with Google, and most Google results start with Wikipedia, which is characterized as a platform maintained by anonymous, well-meaning, unbiased, non-political contributors. Don't kid yourself and think it's an open forum. Try making changes with cited sources on a controversial topic. Nothing non-liberal is allowed. The truth is determined by a committee of editors. Sounds like the Soviet Union Politburo, doesn't it? Who has more time to spend as an editor on Wikipedia? A working stiff or an overpaid, underworked liberal college professor? Left-wing narratives never get purged, while anything right of center is quickly wiped off the platform by left-wing editors. Lots of Washington Post, Huffington Post, New York Times, CNN, no Breitbart or OAN or Newsmax or Epoch Times. See for yourself. Read Rachel Maddow's page versus Sean Hannity's, or Breitbart's page versus The Daily Beast, or Justin Trudeau versus Trump. The censorship is always selective. With only a handful of exceptions, you never hear of liberals or anyone associated with the Democratic Party being censored. It's always Republicans and conservatives and stories and documentaries that are either critical of the current orthodoxy or document corruption of Democrats. Think about the documentary that I mentioned, Plandemic, or most recently there was a documentary critical of Antifa. Both of them not allowed. Since May 31, 2018, Trump and his campaigns have been censored 194 times by Twitter. Team Biden has been censored zero. Users who choose to retweet one of Trump's labeled disputed tweets received a prompt pointing them to credible information. Look at how paternalistic these people are. They can't allow you to think for yourself. They will find a good New York Times, BuzzFeed, ABC, or CNN article to set you straight with their facts. Why the disparity? Why can't Trump's words stand alone? Why can't his detractors dispute his tweets rather than having some computer program at Twitter slapping a disputed comment on every one of them? Which ideology consistently calls for the censorship and deplatforming of people with whom they disagree? What principles drive this type of behavior? So while the left devotes an entire industry to destroying who disagrees with them, there is no equivalent propensity on the other side of the ideological spectrum. I've never heard a prominent conservative or libertarian commentators like Rush, Sean Hannity, Dave Smith, Laura Ingram, Larry Elders, Mark Levin, Tucker Carlson, Ron Paul, Lou Rockwell, Tom Woods, or, or even Glenn Beck. I've never heard any of these folks call for the censorship of their ideological foes. As a matter of fact, most of these folks relish in and encourage the continued banter from their so-called rivals. They wouldn't consider calling for their censorship or deplatforming. Why is that? There are a few principle-driven reasons. Number one, dialogue is healthy. See, most conservatives and libertarians consider themselves in the arena of ideas. It's why I named this podcast The Truth Quest, because I want to know what is true. 
Not what the left or right says is true, but the truth. I want to debate and persuade because I believe my ideas and policies are what's best for everyone. And let's be honest. When leftists go off the deep end and start spewing nonsense about socialism, free health care, free college, partial birth, abortion, and minimum wage, it gives folks like me and those I mention a plethora of teachable moments. Number two, it's unconstitutional. In the United States, the First Amendment protects speech. The vast majority of conservatives want to conserve what is good and just in society, thus the name, conservative. They believe, as I do, that the United States Constitution is the greatest political document ever written, and if you want to change it, offer up an amendment. But don't run around boycotting, shutting down speech, and having activist judges legislate from the bench. And finally, conservatives and libertarians do not believe we have a right to go through life unoffended. If you don't like what Steven Crowder produces or the message of, that Jordan Peterson presents, don't subscribe to their YouTube channels. If you think Breitbart is fake news, get your news from CNN or MSNBC or Huffington Post or the Young Turks. They surely are not going to disappoint you. One of the reasons for the disparity in censorship is the method in which posts are flagged for censorship. A lot of the time, it's due to reports by users. See, these platforms offer its users the ability to flag, complain, and report. You see it right there on your feed, next to every post. It literally takes one second to hit the report button. In society today, who tends to spend an exorbitant amount of time talking about being offended? Who calls their political opponents names? Nazi, homophobe, sexist, bigots, xenophobes. Well, it ain't conservative-leaning people, I can tell you that. It's busybody liberals and Democrats who spend their days being offended and apparently afraid of people hearing another side of the current story that is being propagated and that platforms obligingly censor. In congressional testimony, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey appeared to unintentionally acknowledge that Twitter's unofficial moderating system is based simply on whoever shows the most outrage. In response to a question from Senator Rick Scott, Dorsey replied, quote, we don't have a general policy around misleading information and, and misinformation. We rely upon people calling that speech out, end quote. So my question for all Democrats, liberals, progressives, and Trump haters is, what are you afraid of? Why can't you just scroll past something in your feed that you disagree with? Why can't you use your words to refute it? Why do you choose censorship over debate? These big tech companies hide behind their ever-changing community standards to justify their selective censorship. You know how this goes. They write these 50-page documents that no one reads. You must agree with them before you're using their platform. They use vague language like hate speech, violent speech, harassment, dangerous individuals, and hateful conduct. They leave them largely undefined and sit back and wait for the left-wing outrage mob to come in and cite one of those vague violations to censor the perpetrator. If you are conservative, you can be banned by Twitter for posting what are called hate facts. For example, pointing out real statistics about police violence against black men, or pointing out real murder stats in Chicago, or pointing out facts about Muslims who commit violence. Depending on the day and or the mood of the censors or the political climate, these can all be considered violations of community standards. See, facts equal hate. Verifiable facts get conservatives banned, but leftists can promote violence and threaten people and nothing happens. In a very real way, these hate facts are considered thought crime. Saying something like all lives matter brings about similar results because of what the censors claim that phrase implies. See how this works? Not only do they own the platform, but they also own the living, breathing rule book by which they play. 
It's no different than the argument these same people make about a living, breathing constitution. They want the constitution to be as malleable as their ever-changing community standards. Here's a question for you. Why would an American-based platform intentionally design their rules or weight their community standards towards one group or another in direct conflict with the protections of the First Amendment of the United States? Any community standard practices less than or not equal to the First Amendment standards would essentially be un-American, wouldn't they? Another reason this selective censorship continues to thrive only requires a quick look inside the big tech companies. Left-wing identity politics is an article of faith with the leadership at these companies, and it trickles down to the rest of the organization. Hell, members of Google's senior leadership all but cried during a company-wide all-hands meeting after Trump won the 2016 election. These big tech firms are ideological echo chambers. It's a monoculture. No room for dissent. No room for anyone who thinks outside the 3 by 5 card of allowable opinion. Their progressive ideology celebrates progressive culture, gender, gay, transgendered race, women. Nothing conservative is ever mentioned or discussed. They offer gender and race bias training, but never any political bias or free speech training. A few years ago, there was a Facebook executive from a company that Facebook had acquired who gave a donation to a Trump fundraiser. Holy hell fell on this poor guy. Zuckerberg himself reportedly wrote the guy's apology, which he was forced to publish. In it, he claimed to support Gary Johnson, the then-libertarian candidate for president. This was back in 2016. Then they fired the guy a few months later after another Trump donation and settled an unlawful termination lawsuit with the guy for a reported $100 million. That's how sick these people are. Why can't an executive donate to a candidate of his choice without fear of retribution? The leaders of the big tech and large majority of their employees literally worship at the altar of the left-wing, progressive, liberal, public policy prescriptions. There is no allowance for or tolerance of dissenting opinions. Debate and discussion is not permitted. So at this point, you may be wondering, what if anything can be done about this big tech censorship? How do they get away with such blatant, one-sided, selective censorship? Or you may be thinking, they can do whatever the hell they want. It's their platform, and they can allow whoever they want to be on there. We will address the latter, the build-your-own-platform argument, later in the episode. But for now, I want to discuss a legal provision that protects big tech, social media in particular, from slander and libel lawsuits, a provision that, in my opinion, should be rescinded because the platforms have failed to comply with it. This law is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, it provides legal protection to social media platforms for online speech. As Peter St. Aug, writing for Mises.org, puts it, quote, This was a special immunity from liability for user-posted content so long as the company was acting as a platform open to all comers. Think common carrier rules, like with the phone company. Ironically, original selling point of the two, Section 230 was to prevent censorship by creating a safe harbor so companies could let people express themselves online. That's how Section 230 worked for the first 20 years, on the understanding that active censorship would convert an online platform into a publisher with the same liability exposure as, say, a newspaper, end quote. If people go to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube and talk shit about someone else, you can't sue the platforms. That's what 230, Section 230 is all about, which makes sense. However, that protection only exists if they are just a platform that does not censor its content. Once they start doing that, they lose the protection and become susceptible to full libel and slander liabilities. 
The preamble of Section 230 states the law's purpose is, quote, to encourage the development of technologies which maximize user control over what information is received, end quote. So in reality, the opposite has happened. Users have no control, while the companies have all the power. What they have essentially done is grant themselves unlimited power to editorialize their users' content while avoiding any legal liability for doing such. Why hasn't anything been done to fix this broken legislation? Two reasons. Number one, because Democrats and liberals love censoring their political foes. And number two, Google spends more lobbying than Boeing and AT&T. Even conservative groups like CPAC, the Cato Institute, Heritage Foundation, Republican Governors Association, the American Enterprise Institute, the Federalist Society, the National Review Institute, and many, many more all have been paid off by funding from Google and other big tech lobbying efforts. So why bite the hand that feeds you? If you pay attention to the news, you will note that the calls for the rescission of Section 230 protection is starting to gain steam, but don't hold your breath given the amount of money being thrown around. Now, I want to circle back to that build your own platform argument. How do you reconcile the following two arguments? Advocates and cheerleaders for big tech's selected censorship of non-liberals and non-democrats is explained away by making a free market explanation. Something like this. These websites are like any other private business. They are protected from government interference by the U.S. Constitution. They have the right to deplatform anyone they choose. If you don't like it, stop bitching and build your own platform. Okay, well, wait a minute. Many of these same people make the exact opposite argument when it comes to private businesses refusing to cooperate with people they disagree with on basic and or religious grounds. You know what I mean, the bake-that-cake crowd. They support government efforts to fine, arrest, prosecute, and effectively put these people out of business. You can't have it both ways, folks. You can't support free markets when it conveniently punishes your ideological opponents and oppose it when those same opponents make legitimate free market protection claims. Doing so makes you a hypocrite or intellectually dishonest, or both. See episodes 123 and 124 for an analysis of the blinding effect of political bias and an examination of intellectual dishonesty. But let's take the build your own platform argument to its logical fulfillment. You still have to deal with the political bias of internet service providers, internet hosting providers, internet security providers, and other essential services. But that's just the beginning. The build-your-own-platform argument, which is the natural outgrowth of overt censorship we discussed earlier, it exposes the dark underbelly or second-tier implications of big tech censorship, that being the creation of economic outcasts through financial blacklisting, economic boycotts, and financial censorship. If you think the intolerance of the left ends on social media platforms or in Google search results, you're dead wrong. Due to their busybody nature and their intolerance of dissenting opinions, radical leftists and progressives mobilized to push private companies to cut their services to conservative groups. Think back to what I told you earlier about Gab.com. Any new platform built to compete with big tech, whether that be DuckDuckGo, Search Engine, BitChute, Gab, Parler, Brighteon, Rumble, ThinkSpot, or DLive, all face a gauntlet of harassment and choke points. From being denied bank accounts or payment processing accounts to being denied essential services like web hosting and hacker protection. Payment processors like MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, Apple Pay deny service. Crowdfunding sites discriminate against causes that the outrage mob doesn't like. Patreon, Kickstarter, and GoFundMe have all kicked a bunch of conservatives off their sites. Stripe, Square, and Coinbase have all succumbed to the pressure at one point or another. Even big banks. Chase Bank closed and suspended several right-wing or conservative people and groups' accounts. 
Oh, lest you forget, advertising boycotts are also an often used punishment technique, as you've seen for years on Fox News. Just look at the advertisers on that network. For years, the most watched nighttime news network. Why don't you see advertisements from Miller Lite or Budweiser, Chevrolet, GM, AT&T, Coke, Geico, or Progressive? How come none of those folks advertise on Fox News? These big tech platforms can kick you off for any or no reason. In fact, you have less due process rights on their platforms than you do with a landlord for a one-bedroom apartment. So in order to have free speech, normal people must congregate on separate platforms, hosted on ISPs that are not subject to harassment, and they must develop their own banking system in order to run payments and raise money. I don't think that's going to work. Then what? Someone will claim hate speech or violent speech, and the corrupt federal law enforcement run by Biden-Harris will swoop in and shut them down. This goes well beyond online censorship. My question for liberals, Democrats, and Trump haters is, do you support this type of economic terrorism and harassment? If not, why don't you voice your opinion on social media? What are you afraid of? So what do you conclude from big tech censorship? My conclusion is that there are a confluence of factors that have come together to make this beast. It starts with the left-wing progressive Democratic Party agenda, which continues to be rejected by the majority of Americans. Couple that with these massive, powerful companies with massive market share who are started and run by bleeding-heart progressives who apparently only hire those with similar political persuasions. Mix in the fact that since people of this political persuasion cannot defend their policies in open debate, are intolerant of anyone who does not think like them, tends to be closed-minded, works and lives in an echo chamber whereby they can honestly say that they don't know anyone who voted for Trump. The groupthink in which they marinate in does not grant them the ability to think critically, allow diversity of thought, and employ intellectual honesty in their political conversations. Mix in the fact that liberalism does not grant its disciples the luxury to live and let live. The fact that they are, by nature, busybodies and feel a level of moral superiority as they constantly tear down rather than building up. All of that is a recipe for a totalitarian approach to running one of the most powerful businesses in modern society. Why can't these networks give the end user the ability to build their own filters instead of a one-size-fits-all? Decentralization is always better than centralization. We all know that the left-wing, progressive Democratic Party agenda cannot be defended in an open, honest debate. That is why they resort to name-calling and character assassination rather than debate. Big tech censorship is just another very effective tool to silence the opposition. And that is the truth about big tech censorship. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.